it's reaffirmed a lot of my beliefs, seeing that my beliefs are shared with you in terms of what our business needs to be in, you know, the things we need to be, be trying to do. And the fact that the only way we're going to do it is we're going to have to lead by example. We're going to have to do it because yeah. there's no way we're going to create societal change, hold us well. It will never be a dynamic change scenario, but it will be incremental. So, you know, we need to start building the increments. Try this bad boy out for science. You are welcome to take a seat at the table where we use a new lens, where humanity are stakeholders. Different distinctions encouraged, intention starts from a no-judgment zone, a certain age is not criteria, and where you become comfortable with the uncomfortable to facilitate a new conversation. Welcome to The Decision Table. I'm really excited to dive deeper into a conversation um, here on the table. I know uh, you you said a comment um, the other day and I think some of the things that you were saying from that would be interesting to sort of dive deeper into while we're on here. And uh, these are just casual conversations. I, you know, I learned that traveling the world, I got to have amazing conversations with amazing people across the globe. And I just wish sometimes I could have pressed live because I feel like a lot of people missed out on some great conversations. And I think one of the ways we can see if we can shift from problem to solution across the world right now is by having daily conversations, you know, with amazing humans wherever you are and and to look through different lenses. I think it's easy to say we know everything, we've, we've got everything sorted, and then we keep doing it the same way. So the lens this month on the decision table is all around what I think is the importance of the muscle of human intelligence. Mm-hmm. What does that stir up when you hear that? Oh, for me, I, I, I love that because, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm an old bloke. I'm, I'm 60 years old. And, uh, you know, for as long as I've been alive, uh, feeding my head's been my main drive in fact when i every time i do one of those strengths finders value testing um love learning and integrity are always the top three um so um learning for me so hearing you know the muscle of human intelligence is great because i like feeding my head and i like dealing with people who like feeding their heads and people who have a um, considered um approach to things but also uh quite happy to put their hand on their heart and go, oh, this new evidence, what I thought was wrong. I will now yeah. let go of that and change instead of being concrete and solidifying their uh, their beliefs. There's too much of that going on at the moment. Um, I, I, yeah, my beliefs aren't fluid necessarily, but they're not locked in concrete. And if someone can convince me something I've, I've held to be true is wrong, great. We'll change and move on. It's easy. And I I totally respect that and love that because, and then that's what I'm always talking about where leadership needs to be able to be willing to evolve and keep evolving. And that's part of the, I think is awesome because otherwise it's kind of getting boring if yeah. we keep doing it the same way. I, I also think that, you know, like we're, we've seen challenges across the globe that, it's it's a good thing that we can keep changing. That means we can shift it from the problems to to solutions, right? Now, I love the fact that you are really willing to keep learning, 
Where's that come from? Uh, well, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, my, uh, both my parents are voracious bookworms, although I'm the only person in my family to have, and I'm the first person in, in any generation of both sides of my family to actually get to university. Um, but I, 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 I love learning new things. I mean, look, in my business, what I do is I essentially take what I learn and I run it through the filter of my um, my experience and then I come up with strategies, tools and tactics for my clients to use for their, their business and their life. That's that's what I do. Um, I've been a teacher all my life. It's, it's funny. Um, I spent over 30-plus years as a C-suite executive in corporate, which is why one reason why I'm sort of very anti wow calcified mindset because um, you see that all the time along with all the all the sociopaths that rise up very high. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, for years there I was trying to define myself as either an executive or uh, whatever it was and then when I, 12 years ago, I started my own coaching business, um, you know, I called myself a coach and I never really liked the term coach because there were too many people out there calling themselves coaches who weren't. And it was really quite a revelation about 18 months, two years ago, when I suddenly realised I teach. But if yeah. I say I'm a business teacher, people think I'm a failed tradesman who teaches at TAFE. So I've got to still say I'm a coach or a mentor or a business advisor. But really what I am, I'm a, I'm a teacher. I, I find find out what's wrong with someone's business. I grab my toolbox. I find the right hammer, the right chisel, the right drill bit, and I help them fix their business. So it starts delivering the life that they want. And then I go and I teach someone else, and that's that's yeah. what I do. But that's a it's a very hard sell in these cynical times to say I'll, I'll teach you to have a, a better life and a better business. Um, so I got to say I'm a business coach and um, fight my way through all those muddied waters with the, the hundred million other people. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? Yeah. No, you say such. I, I love that because a you're you're willing to learn. A you've learnt from things. Now you teach those as strategies to help others to be able to go and experience that and, and to get the results because you know it works. And yet the world still has this way in which we go business coach. That means you do it this way that looks like this. So how do you think we can stand out from the noise when it comes to things like that? Look, we exist in a million, million channel world. There's no doubt about that. And cutting through the noise is really hard. Uh, yeah. Without sounding too cliched, it's about trying to find your tribe. Um, you know, certainly uh, you know, the whole idea of client avatars and niches is great. I mean, I'd love to be able to say I only work with left-handed plumbers. That would be a really good name. <laughs> that would be awesome. But the problem is I'm a T-shaped person. I, I tend to be a mile wide and a mile deep in what I do and what I know. So... And if I look at my client list, you know, I've got clients across probably 15 different industries. Uh, I don't have a defined niche. So that makes it very hard to split through because in that sense, I'm a generalist. You know, specialists can cut through really easily. Um, I've yes. got a very good friend who does nothing but work with hairdressers and beauty therapists. Um, and uh, he's got a fantastic coaching business. It's growing in leaps and bounds, but that's all he does. I've got another good friend who does nothing but restaurants and hospitality which is great. But I look at my portfolio of people and I go, oh, I, I, there's no one there that I love more than anyone else. It's, yeah. you know, I, I can certainly define the negatives, the people I don't want to work with. But how do we how do we stand out? Look, I think you've got to 
do all the basic stuff. I think, you know, if you've got a good book in you, you've got to do that. If you've got integrity, you've got to do that. You've got to be willing to help people do a lot of what I call good karma work and, and hope the, the return karma is a tsunami when it finally arrives. Um, I think you can stand out to a degree by not following the pack and not just, um, I get tired on Facebook and whatnot having how many people who coach coaches approaching me and I look at them. Oh, and yes. And they're 23 years old. I mean, you know, I, I know Tacky. I've done the program, as you know, I learned a lot from I know Tacky too. I know you do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> comparison, though, there's someone who's uh, well-established to live with things, got a great program, and then I, I get assaulted by all these 20-something-year-olds, yeah. 30-something-year-olds who are either just um, – ripping off and replicating what Tacky and some of the other people do um, or going out there because they've, they've read, you know, they've read Think and Grow Rich and they're, they're presenting it yeah. as something brand new, you know. So, yeah, how do we – being original is great, but I, I actually think you, you cut through by doing what I call AAA, you know. If you learn something from someone else, um, you, ad you adopt it, you adapt it to, to your business and your clients, and then you acknowledge where it comes from. I mean, yeah. uh, I'm putting together a uh, webinar at the moment on what I call COVID continuity planning to help mm. businesses forward plan. But, I mean, some of the models I'll be using in there are from someone that we know quite well, Simon Bowen, and I've actually yes. got that on the slide, you know, model courtesy of Simon Bowen because yeah. that's where I got it from. I mean, I'd love to say I invented it, but I didn't. So, yeah. you know, my own sense of integrity and honesty is such that I will always give... Um, a shout attribution. Out. That's good. Attribution. Yeah. So that's how you cut through. So it's not being with the back. It's not just endlessly recycling, respouting what things other people have said. It's about taking a body of knowledge, running through your own um, your own filters of your own experience, um, and then going out there and trying to find your tribe. I mean, my tribe is by nice business owners that establish six or seven figure businesses who want to work less Fridays. Yeah, that's yeah. probably the closest I've ever come to it. <laughs> um, and it's still too general. Yeah, it is. But, and it's not. So, you know, and you, you are able to draw your tribe because you know specifically who it's not. And I think that that's an awesome thing. I, you know, one of the things you said, it's by experience. What have you learned from all your years? Oh, that I, number one thing is I'm far from far from as good as I like to think I am. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? I have to tell you, no, I really back that one up. When I travelled the world nonstop, the thing I loved about travelling was the more I travelled, the more I realised I don't know anything. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, I will, I will say that I, I, I know a lot and all that sort of stuff, but I will also same. One, but I also realised I knew nothing. <laughs> but, but there's there's always more. Um, you so know, much I, more. I spent a lot of time um, doing martial arts. You know, my, my dad took me to my first judo lesson when I was six, which was fantastic. Wow. And one of the things you learn in martial arts very quickly is um, you might have a black belt or two, but there's always someone better. There's always someone who knows mm. more. And there's always someone who can make you feel like an absolute novice. So I sort of hold on to that sense of wonder, if you like. I mean, I love learning new stuff. And I love, mm. you know, I love having a reasoned um discussion slash argument with someone and, and find yeah. out the position I held was I think that that's that's great so what have I learned I mean I, I've learned that my head works differently from other people um you know I can do sequential thinking one two three four five abc but usually what I do with people and what I did for 30 years in corporate was I'd walk into a meeting 
And within the first seven minutes, I'd be saying, we need to do this, 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 and this, and that fixes the problem. And it scared people and it put people off because my head will go, one, two, A, B, C, N, Q, belt by seven, there's the answer. Mm. It's, you know, it, whether it's inductive um, reasoning or whatever it is, it's just a very different way. And my head works. Have, you, have you worked out how that works? I've. I've had a couple of goes at it. Um, mm. It just seems to be, it's, I call it disparate thinking. I just seem to be able to pull things in from all sorts of locations, make connections that other people don't and come up with come up with a viable solution. Mm. It's, not, it's not necessarily always the best solution, although often it is, but it happens quickly and it's a viable solution. One of the key points in my life was when I, um, I was working for Vodafone here in Australia and I was mm. one of 10 people chosen to do an MBA program at their expense, which was lovely. But part of that was one of these 360-degree uh, reviews where you mm. get your bosses, your peers, and some of your subordinates to rate you and well rate you on the same questions, and then that's heat mapped onto a onto a thing. So that was a real wake up call for me because I I was in charge of uh, sales at that stage. So my job in sales was to go and kick the crap out of the rest of Vodafone to get the resources that sales needed to get the, the dollars right. But yeah. I was also in my head the first guy who would drop everything to help people who were in trouble and all that. So I got this review back and. Uh, I felt like going home and having a warm bath with some razor blades. Um, it was so typical. And the things that, things that were there, point out some good stuff, but it was totally different. So I had a re really clear choice then. Um, I could either say, well, you know, fuck you, I'm out of yeah. here. Yeah. Go, All right, what can I learn from this? And that's what I did. I learned from it because... I had a habit where um, all my life I would um, I'd finish other people's sentences for them because they mm. were talking too slow, they were thinking too slow. Someone had started explaining <laughs> a problem and I'd, and I'd be telling them what, what the solution was. Um, you know, so that scared my bosses. Uh, it upset a lot of my peers. And yeah. I, kept, I kept wondering why I used to attract a lot of hostility in business, I was in because my results were always fantastic. I mean, I never missed a sales budget in 30 years, yada, 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 whatever corporate yardstick you want to use mm, me mm. yet you know i was constantly missing out on um or it took me longer to get the promotions i should have got other people got them who i knew were nowhere near as skilled and what it was was my eq was shit so wow. I, I had to go and work really hard on my eq the iq is fine i mean i've been I've been tested three or four times. That's around the 180, 183 mark and has been. So so my IQ was good. I have this strange way of thinking, this disparate thinking. I'm a problem solver, come up with stuff really quickly. I teach well by being able to take complex things and make them simple so people yeah. understand. But I just scared people out. I came across as arrogant. I mean, I'm six foot three and 110 kilos, so I fill a room quite easily. And I scared people and I upset people. Mm. So I this result, I, I had to go and work on my EQ, and it took it took some time. I'm, I'm glad to say that I, I did, and I turned it around. Um, but uh, it, man, it was a lot of um, a lot of hours of self reflection and beating myself up about stuff. I've got to tell you. So, what were some of the things that you had to work on? Well, one of the things was being more patient. Um, you know. Mm. My, I was brought up by a dad who didn't suffer fools gladly and was very proud to say that. Yeah. Uh, so, I, so I adopted that viewpoint. I, I, I don't have time for fools, you know. Yeah, I, I think I only get one go round in this life and I'm sick and tired of you wasting my time, so let's fix things, yes. right? So I had to work on being – I had to work on giving people their own space to work through things to arrive at stuff. Now, if they said to me, Jeff, what solution have you got? 
I'd tell them. But if they weren't, I would hold back and wait the 10 minutes for them to arrive to the same point I got to in the first yeah. two minutes. Um, I, I became more, much more aware of doing that sort of stuff. Um, it was really around patience and really about finally understanding that other people's heads didn't work the same way as me. They weren't being lazy. They yeah. weren't being stupid. It was just their heads didn't work the same way as me and they did not have the ability to look at a situation and, and pinpoint the choke points or the weak points and go, this is what we do to fix them and then try and get on with it. So um, they, were the, they were the key things. And, I mean, look, you know, I, I had to pull my own ego under control as well. I mean... You know, I knew damn well a lot of the time I was the smartest person in, in the room I walked into, which is not the best place to be. You want to be one of the dumbest people, so you learn more. But I, I had certain arrogance from that. The people I was dealing with, I mean, I had a Bachelor of Education. I'd already had a university degree behind me before I went into the corporate world. Um, in fact, when I finished my um, teaching degree, there were no teaching jobs in Victoria. There were 230 of us graduate, and there were 32 jobs in the entire state. So... I did emergency teaching, but I'd worked night fill for a company called Safeway to put myself through um, through uni. So I went to them and I said, make me a manager. And they, a university graduate wanting to be a supermarket manager. Oh, my God. Wow. So they put me, and I've got to say, the training was fantastic. I mean, here I am 40-something years later and I can still bone out a side of beef. I can I can fill it fish. I can tell you more than you ever want to know. It was a fantastic retail training thing, but it was a real divergence from the path that I've, I've been on because I've been wanting to be a teacher since I was yay high. All my mates were saying they want to be cowboys and Indians and astronauts and I wanted to be a teacher. So, Wow. Um, you know, there's so many so many levels of what you're talking about there. One in particular, I, I relate personally to the fact that, you know, you – well, I relate to one part of it, and that is I now know that I'm really smart and that I think very different to other people mm. and that for a long time people haven't understood who I was or what I'm about, and it's no fault of theirs. It was actually I was unable to communicate at mm. the levels that I needed to let, to yeah. communicate. And so I had to kind of go down a journey for quite a while. Well, it felt like quite a while because I'm like you that I like to get things done like this. And so for me, it felt like a journey. And I had to kind of go into geeky land, into smart land, find out what that really looked like, and then come back to going, how do I now communicate what I know? And and that was actually a really difficult journey because I didn't have people around me that understood what I was talking about half the time. They didn't understand what I was thinking. They certainly, that's why I was asking you, like, do you know what all those things look like? So I, I'm fortunate that I am a stickler and became obsessed with working patterns out. Mm -hmm. going what is this that I'm doing how's that now having and for me it was wiring to the brain to then getting a behavior and then what's that result and I just did that over and over and over again I got my data I then put it through my my filters and and then kept that as um you know evidence of yes this works no this doesn't this, if I we do it this way, it works. So I became kind of obsessive about it. And because of it, I then was able to really figure out a lot of patterns. And then I teach from those or I train from those patterns. And, and it's really helped with my work. 
Here's the thing that wasn't, and I wish there had been someone like me that could show other people how to do that now when yeah. I was going through that journey because there was a lot of time that I doubted myself. See, I didn't have that other piece of yours, that ego in check. I actually didn't think I was smart for so many years. Mm. I didn't think I had anything. Like I thought I thought different because I was dumb or stupid because I thought different to everyone else in the room. You know, so I didn't actually have to deal with that side of it. That, that, that's yeah. It was both a blessing and and and, and a curse. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I get visited by imposter syndrome um, dreadfully. I mean, for instance, ah. you know, I've written six business books and I haven't published any of them. Why? Because I look at them, I think I'm really not adding anything new to the the body of knowledge out there. Mm. Other probably out there. So, so imposter syndrome really guts you when you. So your your wow. ego is there, and you're going, "Here's the proof, and I'm actually good." And then that little voice grabs hold of the back of your head and scratches for all it's worth. And then you then you have these periods of depression. And I mean, you know, the black dog visits me, um, has visited me all my life, where you, you doubt everything you do, and you start going through the "What's wrong with me?" thing. That, that's the big question. What's wrong yeah. with you? Why don't why don't why don't people? Why am I so different? Why why, why are people not understanding that yes. I'm? or where am yeah. I coming from? You, you, you get all that sort of stuff and it grinds mm. you and then you get angry and then you go, oh, fuck this. And, I'm going, <laughs> and, you get yes. and you pick yourself up and you throw yourself into stuff and you often, when you do that, you leave a, a wake of devastation behind you of, of people you've stood on, crushed, discarded, wow. made about themselves. Yeah. Get to that point where you go. I'm a shit human being. I'm lousy with them. So that 360 degree came so late in my life, but it was wow. really, really good. But one of the things I'd always done as a manager, and I learnt this in my twenties, was I used, I created a a thing I called appropriate language. When mm. you run a supermarket, you've got um, you know you've got your checkout staff, and they're often women in their their forties who are doing it so they can help pay the bills, and they're, yes. they're lovely people. Um, you've got uh, you know you've got other managers who often start as a trolley boy. Then you've got butchers. Butchers are entirely separate species from the rest of us, but they're lovely <laughs> people. But they they all they all speak differently. So I, I go into supermarkets with a university background, a love of reading, and a love of writing, and I'm talking here. And I'm not communicating very well with people because they're not understanding me or they're thinking, who's this guy who's got tickets on? So I, I got what I call appropriate language. And the, the best example of that is um, a long time ago, I was running a, a store in Penrith in New South Wales for a company called Venture. And there were these toys called Pound Puppies. They were the I remember those. Yes. And I, I, and I I'd built this big pyramid in the middle of my store of them because I got, I don't know, 300 of them something in and they were on a ridiculously cheap price. We opened the door, whoosh, they were gone, right? Wow. And it's a really rough area. I mean, drugs. It is. I know. Mm -hmm. I used to work out Mount Garrett. Okay. All out there. Cranebrook. <laughs> this guy walks in with his with his stroller, with his kid who's not mm -hmm. the thing that's the kids, with his wife who or his girlfriend who's up the duff again, who's barefoot. Yep. He's big, he's got tats. I recognise a couple of the tats he's with one of the more notorious. Yeah, exactly. And he goes to me, he goes, mate, where's the effing pound puppies? And I went, oh, they're effing sold out. He went, oh, okay, and off he went. <laughs> but if I said, oh, very sorry, sir, but we, we've sold out, you know. Yeah. But the, and the same thing with some staff, you know, you're talking to, to, to say, butchers in particular I was dealing with uh, there for a while. You had to talk to them that way. And when I was at Telstra and I launched the Next G Network, I had to talk to everyone from, you know, um, 
the CEO uh, from America uh, in American stuff, you know, the, the old uh, warm hands, cold heart embodied that, to the, uh, the, the technician who, who'd been around with Telstra for 40 years and, and was, was as, you know, as ochre as they come, mate. And so this whole idea of appropriate language, even though my yeah. EQ comes back, it's actually helped me as a uh, manager or a leader to actually communicate more clearly yes. than I would have otherwise. So I hold that that idea very near and dear to me. And now my EQ is better. It happens more by reflex rather than me having to do a yeah. mental thought through who's this person, where are they at, what, what, what words are going to work best with them, you know. Yeah, and I think that's so important, like, you know, you're not alone on this. Like, you know, your journey is not alone. I'm hearing it more and more from people. But I, what's that? <laughs> I wish I'd known because it's been bloody lonely. I, exactly. And that's actually why we're having conversations like this because the reality is you're not alone on this. And, like, I had my own journey on it. You've had your own journey on it. How do we make sure that we can communicate so that others don't go down this journey so much? Because I think we need to have more tables where we're willing to to bring the smartness to the table, but it's not you you shouldn't have to be dealing with imposter syndrome at that table. At the same time, you should be able to be uh, bringing your smarts because that may be the answer that we're looking for right now and not dumb that down at all. Because I think that's that's the problem that often we we end up having to to get to the level, communicate at this level, and so we actually don't even bring the fullness to the table because if we did, they wouldn't understand or they couldn't get it or whatever. I think there's a, I think it's a really big issue. I mean, it, it, yeah. you, you're talking at several levels. I mean, one level you're talking about societal change because, let's face it, we, we're, we're a tribe and we, you know, in every word, in almost every language except for English, the word stranger means enemy. Right. So, okay. So Mm -hmm. you're dealing with that mindset. You know, he fits in the tribe, or he doesn't fit in the tribe. If he doesn't fit in the tribe, let's keep him under suspicion. Now, you know, there was a wonderful um, educationist named Dorothy Heathcote um, in the UK, and she used she pushed this idea of teaching drama to kids in schools as practice for living. And I love that idea. Right. Yeah. She used to get some of the toughest kids in, in places like Birmingham and Newcastle in the UK to take part in drama classes. She used to talk about everyone being part of a brotherhood, and all you have to do is find the brotherhood. So you and I could be part of the brotherhood that wears yeah. masks, right? We could be part of the brotherhood of people who um, have imposters, whatever. But you find yeah. the brotherhood, and that gives you a common point to start from, then you build things. The issue we've got is, say, in the corporate world, Firstly, there are people who, who are in there who who actually think their job is to do nothing more than further their own career. Whereas yes. you, you get guys like me who were brought up by people who went through the Great Depression, and my my job is to do what my employers employed me to do, do it as well as I can, as good as I can, to to make sure that I, I'm I'm a productive employee and earning the money. So people with that mindset up against someone who says my job's to create a career means the ones to create, they tend to be the ones to get up and go ahead. Um, They tend to be the people who get ahead and rise to the top much more quickly. And then they admit because they know they've got there not through work but through playing the politics game and saying the right thing. They, they come from a place of fear. So anyone who's coming up who, who's more talented or smarter or whatever, they either try and co-opt their results 
or they, they squash them or they make them they move out. So until we can change that in corporate, that's a big thing. I mean, look at you look at corporate in Australia. The average CEO in Australia lasts somewhere between three and five years. I know I was one there at one stage. But yeah. normally it takes six to nine months for a new CEO to get his feet under the desk. So there's almost a year gone. Then he's got another six months where he decides, how am I going to make my mark on this yeah. and make holders love me then he's got six months where he puts it then he probably spends 12 months cutting costs out of the business gutting the business so the bottom line looks good and he's already looking for his new job after 18 months in it through his next place and the next guy comes and he's got to clean it up and all yeah. the good staff's gone the good management's moved on or whatever so he's got to try and rebuild teams and all that and again same thing a lot of the people left in those teams are the people who got there not through merit but through playing the game so there's a lack of skills. Um, so how do we change this? It would be great if we actually had some system where at school level we could start identifying those kids who think yeah. different. I love and that. So starting right back there, yes. Not, make them, not necessarily make them special but identify them, identify that their thought processes are different, identify that they're going to, they're probably their EQ area whatever is going to be different and they're yes. going to need some some different support with things. Same as we support kids who are differently abled in schools, which is great. Yeah. We don't do enough of it. But we need to understand that people who have that particular mental set are also differently abled. And just because it doesn't manifest itself physically doesn't mean it doesn't create a lot of angst and pain and, and needless stuff. Yeah, that's such good points because I remember at school, I like I, I'd be diagnosed now as a kid with being dyslexic, but you never talked about that as school. I was also ambidextrous, and there's a reason I say that because I was also in a year where they used the strap. Do you remember those days? <laughs> it's kind of aging me a little right now, but anyway, the strap. And I was the only girl that got strapped and I got strapped because one of the reasons I got strapped was because I uh, wrote with my left hand, not my right hand. Yep. And so I had to, even though I could do both hands and I, I do that with a lot of my thinking is, is both sides of my brain. I, I remember really strongly going, oh, I'm not allowed to write with my left hand. And it was like this thing that took away from me. And then I was like, I was actually extremely shy as a young girl. They would always say on my school reports, lots of potential, but she's too shy, you know, like needs to speak up. I'm like, I'm sure if the teacher saw me now, they'd go, you know, she needs to shut up. <laughs> like it's a whole different ballgame. Jeff needs to be less involved. <laughs> yeah. So, so, and, and what was interesting about it was like, I knew that I thought differently, not just because I thought differently about perspectives and like, I just questioned a lot. I was very curious, but I wasn't allowed to ask questions because if I did, there always seemed consequences. So I never asked questions. I just thought them in my head. Yeah. And so I lived in this world of crazy head where it was so busy and my thoughts were muddled up that often when I spoke, I felt like I was not making a lot of sense sometimes, you know. And and I remember thinking when teachers would tell me at school, 
look, you just, I, I, like I literally remember my English teacher saying, Kiri Marie, whatever you do, don't you dare ever write. You can't write. And now when I look back, I go, yeah, you're right. I can't write about Romeo and Juliet. I really, like, once I'd heard the story, I was like, why do we have to go on about this and then figure out the emotions or whatever else that it was that we had to do and then write a big essay around it? You're right. I can't write like that. But I realised that I, I thought I wrote different, I felt different, I cared about things that were really different to mm -hmm. those that were around me. But the school, the system didn't work so I would even answer an exam so I was very good in the classroom I worked very hard I got great marks when I understood things when I went and did exams I hated exams mm -hmm. and the reason being is that they would ask a question I look at that question and my brain goes this is the answer they want wasn't a wrong answer it was just not what they were asking and I would have that on my uh, my mm -hmm. exams all the time. You yeah. did well, but we didn't. We weren't asking that question. Yeah, yeah. We we like yeah. You know, we like the perspective you brought to bear, but we we were actually testing about this. Yeah. Same yeah. thing happened in university. Mm -hmm. I went to university, began doing a um, social science degree, and I was acing anything to do with the social side of it. Not a problem. Wrote things. Absolutely not a problem, but any time I needed to answer the way they wanted me to answer, I just couldn't get my head around that. Real tough, real tough. So yeah, for me, it, it's trying to identify that at kid level and it's about trying to manage it at kid level, at school level. So we, we break down this, this tribal mentality, this difference equals enemy, this difference equals ridicule type thing. And don't get me wrong, some kids are deliberately different and they caught being... Um, different and being uh, attacked and all that because that feeds some some need there. But they're tiny, tiny percentage. Yeah. Kids who just drop it. Now, look, my, my, uh, my, my son, Michael, is uh, he's in his early 20s. He's the same size as me. But when I adopted him in Indonesia, I mm. brought him from the orphanage and he was literally this big. Wow. Beautiful. So we're up here on the central coast of New South Wales, very white bread, um, and he's this little Indonesian-looking boy going to primary wow. school. And he had he had a few issues there, but I'm so grateful that the, the school and the teachers, because I had I, I actually went along to saw him, they didn't treat him differently. But what they did was they made sure the other kids didn't treat him differently based yeah. on his, or his appearance. So he had a couple of instances uh, with one teacher and with a, a couple of kids in I think third year. But other than that, he was best. He was just one of the kids, and they taught it taught him and treated him, and the school treated him that way and the kids treated him that way. So, you know, I'm very proud of him. He's going on and finishing his teaching degree this year, but he's, he's a great human being. But where I was worried about him really coming up against this horrible racist type bullshit, the school just stepped up and looked after that and did it well. So I know it can happen. So that was with yeah. a very obvious skin colour type thing, appearance thing. But there's, I don't think there's any reason why we can't be doing that with kids who are differently abled, not just physically, but also the way they think and view things. Yes, I love that. 
That is such a good, wow, that's amazing insights. I really, really love that. I haven't thought about that so much. Um, let's bring that back into then, how do we do that more effectively in business? Because, hey, here's the thing, right? There, I, I, And you know in the coaching world, yeah. like one of the things that irritates me so much in the coaching world, consulting world, we need proven strategies. We need proven models. And here's the thing, I get that. But it also stops you from evolving or thinking for yourself well, in many, yeah. many ways. It's, it's that whole lack of being able, willing to adopt and adapt. So if yes. you adopt something, you adapt it, that means you tweak it, you change it, you make it suit your circumstance or your client's circumstances. So therefore you evolve the thinking, whereas yes. most people just want a cookie cutter. I mean, I get emails which are word for word the same as tacky, Aaron Fletcher, uh, yes. Frank Byrne, a couple of other people that you know, mm -hmm. obviously I follow. And I look at it and I go, well, either you're a student starting out, and then I see some of the people, I go, you're not a student, you're just a rip-off merchant. Correct. And there's a lot of people you catch. But look, diversity is a great thing, although I, 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 I'm concerned about diversity inclusivity becoming buzzwords because what happens then is they, they attract a lot of lip service, especially in the corporate Correct. world. Correct. Yep. But there is no reason why in the corporate world the inclusivity thing can't be taken to identify those people that are, are thinking differently and thinking smarter. Now, one of the things I've got to say about Vodafone, um, this is back in the early 2000s when, quite frankly, they were a great business to work for here in Australia. Um, not, not so much from the... <laughs> the later part but really good then but one of the things they did they were they were looking for people they were looking for talent inside all the time you know um you didn't necessarily have to have a marketing degree to get a job in marketing for instance so they did that sort of stuff so i've, I've always liked the idea of corporate inclusivity where you know they start looking at people and they're going he's a square peg that's a round hole he doesn't fit but where will he fit in a way that's going to benefit the business and him Instead of he doesn't fit, let's make his life difficult. The old thing in supermarkets used to be this person doesn't fit. Where's the store furthest away from me lives that we can transfer him to so he gets worn yeah. down by the traveling and all that sort of all that sort of bullshit. But that's where you take the school thing where you identify those kids, you support them, you fix the environment. This probably needs a bit of that at university because yeah. you know, university you've got some of the most hidebound people in the world actually teaching things supposedly but also in the corporate world in the business world i mean for small to medium-sized business you wouldn't expect it because you know that often the, the the skin of their teeth is what's keeping their doors open and, and food on the table for their families so but when you get to the corporate world where there is so much waste where there is so much money spent yeah. on things that don't matter but they tick a social box or they tick a uh, an image box then that's where we should they should be looking at okay how can we identify the different types of intelligent people we've got or skills mm -hmm. we've got and then start trying to fit them in the right place and if we don't have a place we need to be saying to those people we don't have a place for you but then help yeah. outsource them yes. take them an outsource per place and do that so look in an ideal world i'd love to say I, I to be perfectly honest i doubt if that will happen i think there'll be certain organizations that will do it um, where there'll be a meritocracy, but also based on being inclusive and embracing diversity, not just of ethnicity and whatnot, but also of, of the way people's brains work. But the vast majority of businesses aren't going to do that because they've got the, they've got the, the, the climbers 
in charge who are basically yeah. operating from a place of fear in most, most cases and don't have the ability to get any further except through politics. Um, they're, and they're the ones who bring good businesses down. Um, and they're sure as shit not going to be supporting anything that's going to get more <laughs> people, more recognition or more effective people, more recognition. You know, I don't mean intelligence just in terms of IQ yeah. points. Often a lot of people who think differently are incredibly intelligent. I mean, look, it, it's like the old Edward de Bono thing, you know, uh, the Tasmanian salmon factory, you know, yeah. don't take the bones out the fish, take the fish off the bones. Just that insight yeah. saved millions of dollars and totally changed the way they, they did things. Um, that's the type of thinking business corporate should be looking for, finding and celebrating and nurturing instead of we don't do things that way. I know. So how do we, like, seriously, that is such a common answer that you hear. Uh, we know we need to bring this change. We know we want this or this would be beneficial, but we are doing it this way and we're not at that point yet. Or it actually sounds like we're never, ever going to be at that point. Um, or, you know, like there's just so many different things. But and, and particularly I hear it a lot here in Australia. I really do. And the whole tall poppy syndrome of pulling other people down, like why would we raise those people up and make them, like I think the best thing you can do as a leader is to get yourself out of the role, whatever you're doing, and, and getting to the next piece so that you can keep, again, evolving and keep learning and keep bringing people on a journey of growth of whatever that is. Well, it's that old saying, you know, a good manager aims to make himself redundant. I forget yeah. who said it. It was Deming or Johnson or one of those guys, but it's true, and that's something mm -hmm. I've always tried to do. And I've always believed that, you know, um, I look better the more people I have promoted out from underneath me. Yeah, so that's what. So what do we do? How do we fix? How do we fix this yeah. in the corporate sense when we know we've got these climbers who aren't there through merit? Well, you've got to appeal to. Them, you've got to appeal to what they do because most of those people they um they like to be able to take credit for good things, but they also yeah, like yeah. to be able to duck out the way in case something's going wrong. So they're really about um looking as good as they can and being remunerated as well as they can. So mm. you have to make it a, a place where they get recognized and praised for recognizing different intelligence where you know some of the profits or some of the uh, positive financial outcomes from those people actually getting developed and used ends up in the pocket of those people that's the only way you'll do it because if you try and, and talk sense to them it's like trying to talk to someone who believes the earth is flat or mm. that COVID-19 is caused by 5g towers right. you can't, facts and reasoning just don't work there's they've emotionally committed to believing that They've tied their self-image to it and they therefore can't afford to let go of that because that then means that their, their image of themselves is wrong. That's the case for so many people in corporate. That's why it's easy for them to say, oh, we've always, we don't do it that way. We've always done it. Because it's a safe harbour. So what you need to do is find a way to incentivate these guys to leave the safe harbour by developing and recognising and nurturing the talents of people who don't necessarily fit the the cardboard cutout that they've got for staff. So then how do we make sure that we're bringing inclusive cultures but not bringing our biases in in the way that we build that out? Well, the thing is we can't. We always bring our biases in. I mean, we, we all exist in, a, in our own little thought bubbles no matter how hard we do. I mean, look, you know, Facebook's a great example. I, I've got 
Facebook friends who are rabid far-right wing people. Um, we share a common interest in maybe a science fiction author or maybe a martial art. Um, I really disagree with things, but I've just chosen not to um, argue with them, but I've chosen to say, okay, here's an illumination of the way they're thinking and why they think this way. So that's useful to me. That stops me calcifying my thoughts and my belief that I'm right. So, mm. you know, so how do we avoid that? We're always going to bring our own biases, but we've just got to have that mindset that says we're up to letting our beliefs change. The things we know and we hold to be right, the stories we tell ourselves have to be to a degree fiction because they have to be able to be told. They're not, they can't ever be fiction. Well, hopefully they're not fiction. Um, mm. They can't ever be um, fact because, you know, facts can change so they need to be faction they need to be flexible enough to change so when we bring people in exclusivity we are going to have a bias you know you and i would have a bias conscious unconscious or in between where we would want to see people who think differently are identified and are given the tools and the nurturing yeah. so they can shine not only as people but also for the business that's employing them right yes. so we have that bias and i would say that's a positive bias a negative bias would be one of those climbers sitting up there, seeing people coming up and going, oh, my God, he's only been in his division for six months, but he's already beaten his profit target. What's he doing? <laughs> uh, I, or he's running my old division and he's doing it yeah. so much better than I did. <gasps> yeah. you know? So that bias is a negative bias, and I'm not sure how we fix that except by trying to incentivize those people. It would be lovely if we were, you know, I, I tend to believe in guided democracies, if you like, you know. Uh, like, which means you've got to have someone up the top at the end of the day says it's black or it's white, it's yes or it's no, but is open to taking in the feedback from people and sometimes just having to say, I've heard what you've said, we're not yeah. going to do it, we're going yeah. to do this, you know. Um, and as a CEO, I often operate it that way and that's the way I find you get good results. But then what I'm saying is we'd probably need people up top of the climbers who would be able to say to them, I've heard what you're saying, no, we're going to do this. That's it. We're going to bring yeah. these people up. And your KPI, one of your key performance indicators, yes. your bonus is how many of those people are you nurturing? Yeah, right. And I think, and you know, and I think you say that so beautifully. Like I actually really loved what you just said then. And, and I think that that's where... You know, with this, uh, I talked about all last month the the new approach, like this, the white paper that I'm writing, which is the need for a new approach to leadership. And one of the pieces that came out of that was definitely this fact that part of having um, a new approach to leadership is having a different lens in which we use. And I think that that's what we've talked about so much today is really what are the lenses in which we're using and how do we use that and how can we then use them to be more effective? Mm -hmm. And and I think that that's, that's a place in which we have, you know, we like you say, we can't change all of those things and things won't change like that. But the change can happen when we do it, when maybe a company does do it here or, you know, you get a tribe of people who go, you know, this is important to us. We want this positive bias to be one of our positive biases and we're going to put things in place. And I think that that's the only way right now we are going to see change because we can't do it as a system across the globe, but we're going to have to do it as pockets. And I think that that's where more and more now we've got a responsibility 
to what we own to bringing that change. Do you yeah, agree I, with that or disagree? I, I think you know, it, it, it really is that what's become a cliche. I like cliches because cliches always contain truth, which is, you know, be the change you want to see in the world. What was that? Right. Like, whoever said it, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you've got to try and do that. You've got to try and lead by example. Uh, and that's what leadership is, you know. Yeah. Leadership's leading by example. That means you're in front. Yeah, not, not all leadership, yeah. though. Come on. <laughs> okay. Um, so I think that's right. I mean, look, it'd be lovely to get someone of the level of, say, a Bill Gates who would mm -hmm. say, okay, go and create the ideal business. I'll fund it. Let's, first of all, let's find there's a need that needs to be met. And it, But now you go and design the business with the people and, and set it up and we'll make this the model business moving forward. So our biggest issue is, um, you know, the... The idea of a 40-hour week wasn't legislated to 1938 in America. Mm. Um, the idea of not working seven days a week, Henry Ford brought that in because he realised his factory workers were much better if they had two days off out of every seven. So that's where the weekend came from. Really didn't exist before then. It was like work all the time and occasionally get a religious holiday or something off like that. So we still have, in 2021, we've got this factory mentality yeah. going businesses right um, our school system's driven by that now our school system was designed to make people intelligent enough um, to actually be able to fulfill functions in the production line so to speak right? so true yes it, it's been designed to make people understand discipline fitting in with the pack um, memorization is held above mm -hmm. creative all the time so it's a it's a factory filling mentality we still have uh, and it'd be nice. but even businesses that started off as um exemplars of the different thing. i mean you look at what google and you look at all those sorts of businesses you know as they get bigger and get successful then they start bringing in people and suddenly they're just another corporate they're, they've lost that free-flowing stuff i mean um so i think one of the things we need to do is to start figuring out what the ideal business for the next 50 years is going to look like. And it's not going to be a factory-based business. It's no. not going to be a mentality business. And maybe trying to build that and help people with that sort of stuff. The problem we have, though, is we've got a world where almost everyone thinks they can grab a laptop and they can run a business and li live on the beach <laughs> of Thailand, you know, and not have much happen, right? Or they, you know, they've got this U-Butte product that, you know, if they sell it through Amazon and they get a click every time someone buys it, they can retire happy. And it's true, there's things like that. But, I mean, yes. uh, and what's the latest bit? Oh, yeah, this one's coming. I love it when this one comes back, you know. Find something you love and you'll never have to work again. That's right, because most, most times what you're passionate about, no one will pay you to do anyway. <laughs> um, so charming. Uh, I mean, I've got a, 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 a client of mine, a previous client of mine, who was a driven by guitars he loves you know, he had a gibson a stratocaster he'd taken lessons with some of the australian lumen he'd even gone overseas to go to something that eric clapton was teaching at right mm. a home studio he's been playing he'd been playing guitar for 30 years and the problem was he was still a shit guitarist after all that but it was his passion he happened to be a very good gp so his gp ability paid for his passion so i i say to people you've got to be pragmatic about your passion yeah you know, you've got to you've got to pay your way in society. So find something you're good at that people will pay you well for. That maybe you can evolve into where you're living yeah. larger life. Um, but just be aware of the fact that the fact that you like what you know binge watching Netflix while you're having beer and pizza. No one's going to pay you for that, even if you're. <laughs>
<laughs> I love that. Okay, so if anyone wants to connect with you and to do that well, not the binge and the the beer <laughs> drinking probably, but or maybe who knows? Yeah. Uh, how do they get hold of you? Look, the easiest way to get hold of me is uh, yeah, you can you can email me at um, Jeff at the profitabilitycoach.global. That's an easy way to do it. Or you can find me on Facebook. Just put Jeff Hetherington in there, the Profitability Coach, or I've got a little Facebook group going there in the background, which is aimed at helping businesses get through COVID, which is called The Profitable Life. So they're the easiest ways. I mean, there's websites and all that, but they're probably the easiest ways for people to get in touch with me. Drop me an email, find me on Facebook, and let's have a chat. Yeah, so good. Hey, um, you know, one of the things I always do on this is at this time of the, we're almost finishing this broadcast, but, uh, you know, I always ask every one of us that come on this decision table, what's what are we taking from this? So, you know, I want to ask you, what are you taking from our conversation today? Um, maybe it's something that's reaffirmed something. Maybe it's a, a new thing. Maybe it's to do something different. What is, it, what is it you're taking from today's conversation? There's probably several things. One is um, uh, a bit of a, a slight sense of re regret that I didn't understand earlier in my life that I wasn't alone. Mm. Most of my life thinking what's wrong with me because no one else no one thinks this way, right? So it would have been lovely having that realisation earlier that that was right. Yeah, powerful. Uh, it, it's, it's reaffirmed a lot of my beliefs, um, seeing that my beliefs are shared with you in terms of mm. the way business needs to be and, you know, the things we need to be, be trying to do um, and the fact that the only way we're going to do it is we're going to have to lead by example. We're going to have to do it because you, yeah. there's no way we're going to create societal change, holus bolus. It will never be a dynamic change scenario, but it will be incremental. So, you know, we need to start building the increments. Um, plus, I got the chance to catch up with you for a chat. <laughs> <laughs> Which is always good fun. So here's the, what I'm taking from it. I really loved our conversation. I love all the ins and outs of it. For me, I... It's really good having someone with a brain that goes everywhere. For me, that's the best ever because we can go everywhere. We can, you know, dive deeper into something. You know, there were many things that I could have gone even deeper on, but mm -hmm. I didn't want to miss out on those other things. So I sort of was skirting around and going, oh, I'd love to go even further into that conversation. But the thing that I really got from what, we talked about is that positive bias versus the negative bias. I don't know that I've thought about it in that way, like um, having biases. I, I, I know and I, I don't even know really what my whole thinking is about biases except that I really get irritated with negative biases. I yeah. really do. I don't know. I, I work very hard to to not go in and I literally have strategies. So I don't know that I agree that we don't have bias, that, that we can't um, can't not have biases um, because I work really hard. There's some things. So, so for an example, if I had an ideal world, I wouldn't know anything. And one of the reasons I don't even you know, find out about anyone that maybe is a new person on my on the the decision table is and I don't have preconceived questions or anything is because I don't want any biases to come beforehand I don't want to read up about someone I don't want to the reason I don't even ask you what what company what do you do who are you right because then I get biases from those 
So, I right. let, let, let me frame that and, and challenge you a little bit. The frame first Please of all do. is as human beings, we always put people in boxes. And most people, we put ourselves in the box. So, mm. um, yeah, I put myself in a box where I said I'm a teacher, but I have to call myself a coach. So most people yeah, listen right. to me, oh, he's a business coach. It's like saying, hi, my name's Bill. I'm an accountant. Bang. I, yeah. I'm in the accountant box. So Correct. We, people like labor. It's a survival instinct. You know, we look at things. We need to be able to go, that's safe, that's safe. Oh, shit, that could kill me, right? So boxing right. things up is a survival instinct. It's very hard. It's hardwired. It's hard to get rid of it. But I wasn't saying that, and I still believe we cannot ever be free of bias, but the key is to be aware that you've got them and to try and be aware of the ones you've got so you can mitigate them or get a bit of distance from them. So, see, your perfect example, you said, I don't ask people what they do, where they come, because that would start creating biases. But the yep. thing is, you know that bias exists. you still got that yes. bias, but what you're doing is you're taking a mitigating step to pull back from it so that bias does not have any undue influence or effect on conversations like this. So we've all got biases. The key mm. thing is always being aware of them and deciding are they positive, are they negative, and either way, negative ones we definitely want to try and get rid of. Yeah. Positive ones, you know, can still maybe err to negativity, so we've got to figure out how can I just, Put a bit of distance between me, and you've done that beautifully. Because I've got to say, I, I really wasn't expecting to say, "So, Jeff, what's the name of your business, and how long?" Have you been doing it? But, <laughs> what? You know, really? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so you, you've done that. But the, the key thing is, we all carry biases. We, we will never be bias-free because that ties back to this boxing survival thing. That's always going to be part of us. But the idea of trying to eradicate negative biases we can probably do that because that's another yeah. survival thing a negative bias is going to do harm and it may bring harm on me therefore it's easier to get rid of but the positive biases which maybe could get twisted into something not so positive then we just pull back from and that's what you're doing so you still contain yeah. the bias but you're aware of it so to me it's context is all and it's awareness that's so interesting. And the other part of that is that I really want people to connect as humans first because I think change will never happen if we don't get back to connecting as humans yeah. as a first place. As, a, as an even playing ground, we are humans first, wanting to see humanity go forward, hopefully. And, you know, we're all in the human race. In other words, we've all got a part of what that looks like. And so what if we can actually get back to the decision table and start looking at each other, connecting with each other as humans first, finding out these things like you've had learnings on here today and myself, finding out what it is are those pieces that can make us be more effective in what we're doing and who we reach and, and you know, hopefully be able to, I always say, shift the dial from problem to solution, you know, and that dial is so far in many, many places across the globe right now. And we could say, well, it's just hopeless. We're not going to be able to do it. But I think that if, if there are people, humans, who are awesome humans that are willing to start shifting that dial, then I'm doing my piece, you're doing your piece. You know, George down the road does his, Bob does his, Mary does hers. We start shifting what seems so impossible at times. There's a, there's a, a group out there called the Grey Swan Guild who do all sorts of work, uh, mm. quite, quite high level, but they do some really interesting stuff in terms of 
the sort of things we've discussed today yeah. into what's the future going to look like, what's happening now, how can we change it for the better, how can we have a positive impact uh, on it. So they do some really, so there, there, are, there are groups there and I think there's a movement out there. But the, the bottom line is, uh, you know, it's lovely to say we're all created equal, but the, the stark truth is we're not all created equal because we live in a, in a society where, you know, um, money, the great enabler, is also for too many people seen as, seen as the be-all and end-all. And how much of that enabler you've got determines the course of your life. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, uh, lots and lots of very successful people came from shitty backgrounds. In fact, you know, a lot, for a while there I was convinced that in order to be really successful, you had to have you a had to come back from that, yeah. And then up as a kid and starved and all that, you know, because yeah. I know so maybe that's true, maybe it's not. But the, the, pro the thing is the vast majority of people, you're born into your circumstances, you may rise a bit above them, but you're there for life, for, for societal conditioning, you know, parental effects, all that sort of stuff, and not many people break out. So it's got to be a long-term thing. It's got to be an incremental thing because we're never going to galvanise. You, know, you can galvanise a 1,000 people to attack Capitol Hill in Washington um, by telling lies. Um, it seems easier to get people fueled up about something rather than actually get them to change themselves. So Totally, totally. And here's the thing. I was actually one of those people that have totally shifted from if, you know, one day maybe you'll hear my story, but, um, you know, I totally was one of those people that have shifted from that and my world now is miles and miles and miles and miles away from from what I was. So it is possible, but it comes down to decisions and it comes down to personal ownership to what you're going to do and own on that and then what are you going to do with that and be the change. But, look, we've run out of time, amazing time on the decision table today. Jeff, I thank you so much for bringing your smartness to the table. I really love it. I know we've been talking about a lot of things and I just think all of these things, when we're aware of it, help to build and uh, work the muscle of human intelligence. So I'm so grateful you've come here. Keep using that brain. We need to hear some of those things. Please get one of those books, if not six of those books out because, no, we need to hear it through the lens that you bring your life, your experience, your thinking messed all and mixed in together and that's your goodness that you bring in those books. We need to hear that. The more people like you, like myself, keep bringing out this, the more the thinking can change because people can see there are other ways to think. There's other ways to do it. There's other ways to maybe even consider learning or evolving into. So thank you for being here on the decision table. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you. It was a great time. Lovely to catch up with you. All right. I'm going to end the broadcast now. Amazing droplets of wisdom for you from today's episode. Make sure you subscribe, ensure you leave an awesome rating and review. Our hope is this podcast creates a new awareness, activates ownership to what is next, a curiosity for the need to be part of the change, and to make footsteps of sustainability from today onwards. If you want to further your journey with us, then apply to join us at our next Leaders Movement Parlay. The link is in the show notes. We appreciate you. Help us to help build a tribe who make humanity as stakeholders. To achieve this together, recommend this podcast to leaders, innovators, and movement changers. Big love until we see you on the next Decision Table Series podcast episode.